Well, good morning, church. How's everybody today? So two people are great. Well played. Somebody's really great. I appreciate that. Thank you. You guys enjoy that crazy hailstorm? I was like, it's June 22nd and there's snow on the road. Welcome to Tahoe. Welcome to Tahoe. Hey, just, a, just one other little disclaimer. Uh, this is our family Sunday. It's always the last Sunday of every month. And so you'll notice there's kids running up on stage. Thank you, Finn. I love it. And they're going to make noise and roll around in the aisles and just be cool with it. Like, this is the family of God. And again, it's such a beautiful testimony to, to see little ones dancing. Like, maybe we should do that a little more, you know. Jesus said, have faith like a child. That's what it looks like. Uh, yeah. So it's not just a picture for them to see you worship. It's a reminder for us of who God has called us to be. So I think that's important. Amen? And then just another side note, if you need, if you need prayer or encouragement or you just feel like you want someone to talk to, like, please come find me. Uh, email the church, Brandon at cornerstonecommunity.net. Uh, I would love to just be of service to you, uh, to love you, encourage you, point you to Jesus. And even if you're just here visiting or you're here for a month or six months, whatever, uh, if you're in this building, you're our family. Um, and, and we want to take good care of each other and love each other well. So uh, feel free to reach out. So with that, today we are in week two of a five-week series through the book of Leviticus. And if you missed it last week, we started the book of Leviticus and people were like, that's so awesome. I love Leviticus. I read it all the time. But by the end, you're going to say, oh, Leviticus, it's real great, I promise. Now, we're calling this series Lambs, Levites, and Laws. It's the pastor thing to do, the three L's, you know. And during this ser sermon series, our overall themes are going to look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, the priesthood of Israel, and the law of Moses. And, and not to just bore you with rules and regulations, but to connect each of those truths with their New Testament reality. Because each of those things points us directly to Jesus. So this morning we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, put up your hand. One of our ushers would love to bring you a copy of God's Word. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. So start in Genesis and go over a couple. Boom, there it is. Leviticus chapter 8. And as you open to Leviticus 8 this morning, you're going to notice... Uh, a repeating phrase that happens uh, several times, eight times during this chapter alone. And that phrase is, so Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. And, and when you read the Old Testament, you'll see often that God gives specific rules and regulations about how he is to be worshipped. That it's not just a free-for-all, do what you want. That God expects us to be obedient even in the way that we worship him. Now Moses tells Israel these specific rules about consecrating priests for serving in the temple. That's what Leviticus chapter 8 is all about. The consecration of priests who are going to serve Israel in the temple offering sacrifices for them. And I want you to remember that phrase because... Moses doing just as the Lord commanded him is a key part 
of this whole chapter. And it repeats almost at the end of every sec section that we're going to look at. So with that in mind, let's, let's jump into Leviticus chapter 8. And uh, if, before we jump in though, let's, let's go to the Holy Spirit and ask him uh, to enlighten our hearts and our minds with the truth of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for rules and regulations. And even though when we, we hear those words, we think, oh, more things I have to do. Lord, show us the freedom that is in Christ Jesus. Show us the truth that these laws and these rules point us to. The fact that Jesus Christ came and he died as the perfect sacrifice to free us from our sins. That we would have life with you eternally. So we thank you for the hope we have in him. We thank you for this incredible book. And Holy Spirit, we pray, guide and direct us this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's start with the Leviticus 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation to the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. So Moses is told to make preparations for the ordination of Israel's priests. At this point in Israel's history, they do not have priests set aside for this specific task. And God explicitly says that this is not a ceremony that's going to be done in private. This is a ceremony that's going to be done in front of the entire nation. Everyone in Israel is invited to the tabernacle to witness this consecration of the priests. Now if you look at the second half of verses 4 through 9, we're going to read how the priests were washed and clothed in preparation for this calling. Right? They, they, they come together, Moses brings all the, the specific materials, the sacrifices that were going to be required. He tells all the people to come. And then as they're standing there in front of everyone, the first thing he does is he washes them all. He gives them a shower. So let's look and see what he says. Verses 4 through 9. Actually, 4 through 13, excuse me. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. Then Moses said, Aaron and his sons come near, and he washed them with water. He put the tunic on him and girded him with the sash and clothed him with the robe. Put the ephod on him, and he girded him with the artistic band of the ephod with which he tied it to him. Then he placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the urim and the thummim. He also placed the turban on his head, and on the turban at its front he placed the golden plate, the holy crown, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and he consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, and he anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's son and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. So what's your first thought when you read, you hear verses like these? Well, a lot of hoopla. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. 
right? Before the priests are even consecrated, before the Lord sets them apart for the duty of being a priest in Israel, Moses, we're told, actually anoints the tabernacle itself, this tent of meeting where Israel would gather for sacrifice. And then he anoints Aaron and the priests, his sons. He even anoints all the special clothing that they would wear, right? They had the, they had the whole getup. I thought about wearing it myself, but that felt moderately inappropriate since, you know, I don't know where you even buy those kind of clothes. <laughs> That's Yes. But every single item, every single item, both in the tabernacle that was on the body of the priests and the priests themselves had to be purified and cleansed in preparation to serve the Lord. Every tool, every piece of furniture, anything that was used for sacrifice all had to be cleansed. They didn't just throw some stuff in the tabernacle and say, okay, now we'll start sacrificing. It was very deliberate because the temple and the priests must be made clean before they could be used as vessels for worship. Everything had to be consecrated, ordained, and appointed for God's service. So let me, let me what does this tell us about our own worship? That you and I, before we come into this house to worship the Lord, should consecrate ourselves. This is why it's important for me to take communion every week. Because it's a reminder that you and I have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And we are able to lift up our hands in worship and praise, not because of our own holiness, but because his holiness has been given to us. He has washed us clean so that we can be vessels of worship in his kingdom. Now I want you to think about all these shadows here that are pointing to these New Testament realities, right? The priests are purified before they serve. And I want you to think about Jesus in the upper room before he has the Last Supper with his disciples. You know, you know what I'm talking about? John chapter 13, verses 3 through 7 tell us this. It said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Well, Jesus, before they eat this meal together, before they fellowship, he purifies his disciples by washing their feet. And when he gets to Peter, verse 8 tells us that Peter said to Jesus, you will never, never wash my feet. It's, it's pretty typical of Peter. He was kind of a, you know, a hothead. I know you did it to all the other disciples, but no way, Lord. I am way better than them. If you wash me, you know, it's just not for you to get down on your feet and take care of me like that. But look at Jesus' answer in verse 8. He says, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. If I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. 
You will not be one of my disciples. You will not be admitted into my kingdom. You will not be ritually cleansed for service to your king. If I don't wash you, you have nothing. Jesus is a picture of the second Moses. Jesus is a picture of the second Moses, and he's purifying his disciples for service to the people of God. And the disciples had no idea that that's what he was doing. They figured that out much later. But he was preparing them for the calling that he had placed on their lives. And it's, it's in this moment that Jesus is showing us the reality of this Old Testament truth. That the priest must wash you before you can be consecrated to his service. And I love Peter's response because, again, it just shows us how much he didn't get it. He says, all right, all right. I said never, but what I meant was wash my head and my hands also. Right? That was Peter's response. Uh, okay, my feet, I'll let you do it, but I need my whole self washed. Wash all of me because I'm a mess. That would be probably our response as well if we're honest. Right? But Jesus is telling Peter that this washing was symbolic of something he was going to accomplish just a day from then. It was Jesus' blood that would truly wash him completely clean. Can you imagine how that truth hit Peter when he denied Christ three times? And he goes and sees his Lord hanging on Calvary's tree. And then somewhere down the line he realizes that the, his God had made him completely clean even for the sins of his denial. That's an incredible thought for me. See, these priests that are going to be in the service of the people of Israel also had to be ritually clean. They were sinners, just like you and I. They had to be forgiven and atoned for so that they could go into the temple and offer up the sacrifices for the sin and the guilt and the purification on behalf of the Israelite people. They went through this ritual to be set apart for service through the anointing of oil, through the sacrifice of animals, and even by wearing and receiving special clothing. And this cleansing was important because it prepared the priests to go into the inner parts of the tabernacle in order to fulfill their duties to the Lord and his people. Without being cleansed, they couldn't have even set foot into the inner temple, let alone the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest could go on the Day of Atonement. Now in verse 14 through 17, what we see is a sin offering is made for the purification of these priests' sins. So the priests are going to serve in the house of the Lord, and before they do, they're going to be given a sin offering to purify them from the sins that they've committed. So that then they too can make sacrifice for God's people for their sins. Because they're unclean and sinful, Moses writes this, he says, Then he brought the bull of the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Next, Moses slaughtered it and took the blood with his finger and put some of it around on the horns of the altar and purified the altar. Then he poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. He also took all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys in their fat, 
and Moses offered it up in smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide and its flesh and its refuse he burned in the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now again, when you read verses like these, I want you to just picture it. This was worship for Israel. Their worship was bloody and probably fairly stinky. And yet this was what the Lord required for them to come into his presence. Broken, sinful lives had to be purified and made clean. And we are only made clean, Leviticus tells us, by blood. And the blood of animals was what they had in this time. And then in verse 18 to 21, they make a sin offering first. Then the priests have been forgiven of their sins. And now they're going to give him, the Lord, a burnt offering. So there's different kinds of offerings for different kinds of situations. So the sin offering was made to purify them of their sins. The burnt offering is offered as a pleasing aroma to God. It symbolizes the fellowship that they would share between God and the priests. And it's an offering, we're told, that's presented for the pleasure and glory of God on behalf of the priesthood. Look what it says. It says, then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and sprinkled blood around on the altar. And when he cut the lamb, ram into pieces, Moses offered up the head and the pieces and the suet in smoke. After he had washed the entrails and the legs with water, Moses offered up the whole ram in smoke on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this ram was completely burnt before the Lord. And we told that its blood was sprinkled on the altar. And the burnt offering said that we failed to give our all to God. What we need is amended relationship because one of us hasn't given it our all. And we commit to live for the Lord by giving him all that we have. Even as this animal dies in our place. So this Sacrifice, this burnt offering is a, an offering of total commitment to the Lord. It's the priest saying, we want to come before you, Lord, and we give our entire lives. There's no going back. And it comes after these priests were cleansed, anointed, and atoned for. Because without those things being dealt with, they couldn't even offer their lives in service to the Lord. And, and I think this is also a beautiful picture of salvation. You are saved and redeemed first. And then we work and serve the Lord out of gratitude. It's not, I work and serve the Lord and I gain his favor and then he saves me. No, that's the opposite. He redeems us, gives us all that we need, and then we go out and serve him because we love him. In response to his goodness and his mercy poured out on our lives. Now in verses 22 through 30, you'll see a description of the sacrifice for the actual ordination, the setting apart of these priests, and the consecration that is made for the priesthood. And th those words, ordination, consecration, they are all tied to this word holy or set apart. It is they are being given a specific task from the Lord to fulfill. So an offering has been made for their purification, an offering is made for the glory and the pleasure of their God. And now a sacrifice is made with the purpose of setting these priests apart for the ministry. 
So we've had three sacrifices just for one ordination service. One ordination service. And these priests are called and ordained, and it shows the people that God has supplied them with all the gifts and abilities that they need for their ministry. Look at verses 22 through 30. It says, Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. This is where it gets a little, little strange. It says, And Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toes of, his, of their right feet. That's interesting. We'll come, yeah, I'm not going to come back. I can't spend too much time on that. A lot of other things to talk about. Then he presented Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh. He's like a butcher. And out of the baskets of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all of these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his son and he waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Uh, they actually literally suspended this offering and swung it back and forth so that the aroma would fill the room. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. This was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and on his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron in his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Whew. So when we think of the preparation and consecration that these priests went through, in this ritual where the ram is offered and the priest's ears, thumbs, and toes are smeared with the blood of the lamb which has been offered on their behalf, you should know where I'm going with that. The blood of the lamb made atonement for them to be faithfully in service to the Lord. The priests have had, they laid their hands on this animal, this animal that was sacrificed on their behalf, and the blood of that animal was applied to them. It was made for them to receive all that they needed from the Lord. It's a picture of these priests giving themselves in complete service to the Lord, which is what Paul tells all believers to do in Romans 12.1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with the fact that the church uses the word worship as like singing time. Scripture seems to indicate that giving your life in service to the Lord is your spiritual act of worship. Laying your life down in submission to your God for His glory and the building of His kingdom is your first priority in worship. 
And the singing part is wonderful. And we should offer our praises to the Lord with our voices as well. But that's not where worship begins and ends. So when you say, oh, I was worshiping the Lord, what I want you to start thinking is, I'm laying my life down for his sake. For the sake of others that they would know him. And I could sing along as well during that time. It would be great. Paul tells believers to give everything that you have to the Lord in service to him as a living sacrifice. There was a Puritan preacher named Richard Baxter. He, he viewed himself this way. He says, I am contented to consume my body, to sacrifice to God's service, and to spend all that I have and to be spent myself for the souls of men. This was Richard Baxter's heartbeat. This was Paul's prayer. Who said, I would give my own salvation for the sake of my brothers and sisters to know the Lord. Which begs the question, church family. Have you given your whole self to the service of your God? Or are you holding back just a little bit? Are you afraid of what he might ask or require? And if you're afraid, let me ask you. What could, what could go wrong? What could go wrong giving your life in service to your king? Maybe, I mean, the worst would be you get to be martyred and then... And then you're with the Lord in glory. And I, I, I confess, I'll confess something to you. I, I really struggle with this idea often of like laying my life down. Because we want to cling to it. And if I really had a biblical view of heaven and eternity, there would be nothing in this world I would fear. Nothing. And I would do everything I could for the sake that some other person might know and have that same hope. The hope of Jesus Christ. Church, this is, this is why the church is just, it feels a little stagnant sometimes. And we come week in and week out and we worship the Lord and we, and we tithe and we serve. That's beautiful. Those are beautiful things. But what if we gave all of our lives for the sake of him in this community here? Just, just right here. What would happen to this town if we loved our neighbors as ourselves? If we treated one another with kindness and respect and love and pointed those who need the hope of Jesus to him because of the way we live our lives. I don't know about you, but that, that, that just challenges me all the time. This isn't a guilt trip. I just, I'm just telling you how I, where I'm at. Spiritual worship, the laying down of our own will for the sake of others. Now, one other thing I want to point out in this passage is that the priests had to be equipped by God in order to fulfill their service to God's people. You and I can't serve the Lord without his indwelling. This is why he gives us the Holy Spirit. So that you and I have the spiritual gifts that we need to glorify him and to, to proclaim who he is in this world. And it was no different for these priests back in this time. They had to be equipped and prepared by God in order to serve him and his people. Now Jesus, our perfect high priest, is inherently worthy 
to perform his great work on behalf of the people of God. He does not need to be consecrated. He did not need to be purified or atoned for. He was the sacrifice. He was perfectly holy in every way. But these priests here in the book of Leviticus are just a shadow of this great high priest that was to come. And I don't know about you, but if you're reading the book of Leviticus, you also need to read the book of Hebrews. Uh, because if you're going to understand Leviticus, you need to go to Hebrews because it tells you exactly what it means. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28 tell us this. It says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. You realize the priests, before they made a sacrifice on your behalf or the people's behalf, they had to offer one on their own. So they had to cleanse themselves every day. And then they could go in and offer the sacrifice for the people. And Hebrews is saying, Jesus had no need to do any of that. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Once and for all. And that shows you how incredibly perfect Jesus Christ was. For the law, for the law Leviticus, appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. See, we get to serve the Lord as broken vessels. And if you think your, your pastors and the elders and people in churches are perfect, we're not. We're sinners. Broken and messed up just like you. Dependent upon the mercy and the grace of Jesus just like you. And when we, we consider this passage, when we consider the way that the Lord consecrates these priests, we're reminded about a Jesus, the, the great high priest who didn't need to be consecrated before he served his people. He made us perfectly clean because he was already perfect. And the atoning work that he offered on our behalf was perfect. You think about the amount of animals that were sacrificed in the temple. The amount. Daily sacrifice, hundreds of years. That's, I don't even know how many, hundreds of thousands more, maybe more. And Jesus' blood was so sufficiently perfect, he offered his sacrifice one time. And it covered everyone's sins, past, present, and future for all time. That is an unbelievable truth about the perfect nature of our God, who in him was no shadow or turning. He was absolutely pure. Now the last thing I want to share with you is in verses 31 through 36. It says, And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it, and the bread that is in it, the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days. Until the days of your ordination are complete. For it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. 
at the entrance of the tent of meetings, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged so that you do not die, for so I have commanded. And then notice this little different statement here. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. Now, do you notice that ordination service didn't take 20 minutes? It wasn't an hour and 15 service. It was seven days of being purified before the Lord. Moses tells Aaron and his sons to go into the tabernacle, to not leave for seven days, but when they get in there, they can eat their portion of the sacrifice. So you realize that some of the portion wasn't burned up before the Lord. Some of it was set aside for the priests themselves. And that actually symbolizes the fellowship that they shared with God. Yahweh was there in their presence for those seven days. They weren't sitting around twiddling their thumbs. They were communing with the Almighty himself, with Yahweh. And he said, if you leave my presence in that seven-day period, you're going to die. You will die immediately. Luckily, we're told that Aaron and his sons obeyed the Lord. The part of the offering was given to the Lord. It was burned up on the offering. The rest of it belonged to the priests. And Moses tells them, hey, eat. Let this food sustain you for this seven days inside the tent of meeting. And this eating speaks of this continuing relationship that the priests had with their God. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, let not this distinction be forgotten. The eating of the sacrifice is not intended to give life, for no dead man can eat, but to sustain the life which is there already. A believing look at Christ makes you live, but spiritual life must be fed and sustained. Whew. I'll just leave that one up for a minute, because you need to chew on that one. You see, Christ makes dead things alive. And when we come to his table and we feast, we're not becoming alive again. He's already given us spiritual life. What we're doing is sustaining that life. Because Christ can only be our sustenance. And if you're not feeding on his word, feeding on who he is and having that communion and fellowship with him, you're going to die spiritually. So these things that the priest did, this fellowship that they had, didn't give them life. God already gave them life. He consecrated, he made them holy. He drew them unto himself. And then the fellowship that they had sustained them through that season of ministry. And it's the same for you and I, church. Christ has given us the gift of salvation, eternal life in him. And the, the things that he's given us, fellowship and, and worship, prayer, the word of God. Gathering together as the body of Christ, those things are given to you to sustain your life to the end. To help you run the race faithfully. The priests stayed inside the temple for seven, seven days and they fellowship with the Lord while... While they were being consecrated. And Moses reminded them if they left. They would reject the fellowship of God and they would die. Now Jesus' priesthood is vastly different 
from that of Aaron and his sons. Jesus does not merely assist sinful humans in securing forgiveness from God. He himself forgives our sins. The Jewish high priest offered sacrifices for the people. They offered them for their own sins and then they offered them for the people. But Jesus, the sinless one, saves his people from their sins. Not through sacrificing goats and calves and lambs, but by sacrificing himself and pouring out his own blood on our behalf. All glory, power, honor, wisdom, and strength be his forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we thank you that you are the perfect sacrifice. The Holy One of God who did not need to be sacrificed again and again, but your sacrifice was sufficient for us. And so today, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you that our sins are covered by your blood. That you have made us new and given us life in you. Help us to walk in the newness of that life faithfully so that this world would know that you, in fact, are God. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.